The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. Welcome to the Friday edition of Passion, the night that, uh, well, pretty much anything goes. I'm happy if you send me questions throughout the evening, that's fine. Uh, But I will share some of the latest stories that I found about sex, relationships, some studies, some surveys, some weird stuff, weird news. Uh, And again, yet another new term in the dating world. I'll tell you about all of that. So let me answer a couple of questions for you first, and then I will share some of uh, some of the stories like death by orgasm, uh, being mooned. That's a whole other term, and it's not what you think. Wearing your partner's shirt, uh, a new uh, mobile app that uh, basically closes the male-female orgasm gap. Uh, we'll talk about uh, cure for HIV. There's been um, a London man who seems to have uh, have been cured, and I'll tell you how uh, that happened. The type of date night that can make you feel closer to uh, your partner, and a new study that shows that your genes, not your denims, but your genes can impact your marital bliss. So all of that is coming up, but do feel free to send in your questions at 514-800. You can call in as well at 514-790-0800. And if you have any comments that you want to add to anything I'm talking about tonight, let's open it up. It's uh, let's have a discussion. Hi, Dr. Lori. I've always been attracted to curvy women, large boobs and round butt, and I thought it's my preference. After I listened to your show, I realized that I had never got hard by a slim, skinny woman. So if I can't get it hard without large boobs, does this mean this is my fetish? So that's actually a good question because when you talk about fetishes, there's a different ways. There's the um, mainstream way that we talk about fetish, which is really a, a preference. This is the the usual thing. We say, oh, I have this fetish or that fetish. When you hear about this just in everyday language, people are really talking about uh, a preference. It's kind of the, uh, it's a socially acceptable now to use that term, whereas before it was a term that was used in the um, psychological literature and in the, the, the world of dysfunction, really. Uh, but but we don't see it that way anymore. So when we talk about uh, a fetish or something that is more on the clinical side where it uh, could be seen as a problem, there's a couple of components that make it an issue or a problem. Number one is you need to be distressed by the fact that you have this fetish. So distress is, is a very important element to uh, making anything be a psychological disorder. It's like uh, low desire. If you have low sexual desire, but it causes you no distress, then it is not considered uh, a psychological or psychiatric problem. It doesn't, you wouldn't fit the diagnostic criteria in the manual that we, that we all use. So uh, getting back to this. So uh, number one, the distress. The other thing about a fetish is if you cannot, like if you absolutely need an object in order to uh, get aroused and you always need it, you always need its presence, then it becomes more than a preference. But that's the, that's the only difference. Now, when we talk about, you're asking about large breasts, round butt, these are 
already sexual parts of the body. So we, they don't really fall into the fetish. Uh, feet, for example, which are non-sexual part of the body. Again, who decides, right? It, it's, a, it's our society that really decides. It's our culture. Maybe in other cultures, uh, feet are a sexual part of the body, although I, I can't think of one where that, that is the case. But there are some cultures where breasts are not considered a sexual part of the body. Uh, so um, it would be considered more of a preference. So it's hard to say, you know, you, you say you've never, you've never managed to get aroused with a thin woman, but how, how often have you got, uh, gotten into a relationship with somebody who was not heavier, who did not have large breasts, but who had everything else that uh, was attractive to you? So I, it might be that you've just never gone towards those, uh, those women. So it's hard to tell just from, from this email. So I would say it's more of a preference simply because these, the body parts that you're describing are things that arouse you, but they are sexual parts. So usually doesn't fall under the terminology of fetish. If you have any questions, 514-800, I'm happy to answer them throughout the show. Uh, you can also email me anytime, laurie at drlaurie.com if you want to ask a, a question. So somebody sent me a very interesting email and then a link to an article. It was really a link to a petition. And uh, she says, have you heard about this, Dr. Lori? This is what young men, old men, and teens are exposed to on the net. My question to you, can this exposure to violent video games influence men's ideas about girls and women? Can it damage them psychologically and increase their chances of raping women? So what she's referring to is... Um, this game that is about to hit the market, a video game, and the video game is called Rape Day. I kid you not. It's a, it's, this video game is currently being reviewed by a corporation that purchases uh, all these, uh, these video games, and they announced that it would allow everything on its Steam digital distribution device, including this game. So the description of the video game is this. Rape Day is a game where you can rape and murder during a zombie apocalypse. So what happens when people are watching these kinds of games? Do you think it would have uh, an effect, a negative effect on most people who play a game like this? I worry, again, about... Uh, kids getting a hold of these kinds of games, not knowing exactly what they're watching, not having been taught about consent, sexual assault, etc., through uh, th through sex education and discussions of this. I mean, let's face it, we can't control everything our kids are looking at or are exposed to. And sometimes parents are like, oh, it's just a video game, whatever. Maybe they don't want to see the game or what have you. Or they play it at a friend's house. So to me, like this is a, a, a video game centered on raping and killing women should be completely and utterly unacceptable and should not be allowed to be put out on the market. So I'm not, it's not out on the market yet. It is being... Um, reviewed. And so now there is a petition uh, for this called, um, I think the, the petition, the address is techaddiction.ca, addiction to video games.html. So that 
I guess you can go on on there to find out uh, more about video game addiction, but also to sign uh, this petition. And we know lots of kids and adults are hooked on video games and hyper-focus on video games. So what is the impact? Like I, I can't share with you studies that I know of offhand in terms of the impact of whatever type of viewing that they do or the types of games that they play with and whether this can cause somebody to uh, sexually act out or to sexually assault or rape. There have been studies done on uh, pornography and the impact on sexual assault. And actually what some studies have found is that since pornography's accessibility has increased, the rate of sexual assault has decreased. So it's not that one causes the other. Let's also remember that rape is about power and control and not uh, about sexuality per se, even though it's a, a, a terrible sexual act. So uh, I guess we need to look into more of the research, but this can't be good regardless. I mean, just just having the, just the name of that uh, video game alone is offensive to me. So let me know your thoughts on this at 514 I've got a few other questions that I can answer throughout the show uh, as well, but I want to talk about coming up a woman who almost died uh, by uh, an orgasm, by having an orgasm. Your relationships on the line. Connect with Dr. Lori now. 514-790-0800. Passion. News Talk Radio. CJAD 800. Anything goes Friday, uh, so uh, I'll answer your questions, plus share some latest news with you. A couple of things here. Uh, Comment on the video game. What's psychologically wrong with the devisors of these supposedly entertaining games? Are they running out of creative juice to come up with more constructive alternatives, rather? And furthermore, aren't there more strict regulations as far as what's permitted to enter the marketplace, considering the possible dangers and recoveries? percussions, especially when regarding our youth. I wish that were the case. Uh, although I, I look, I'm not, I can't say that I'm so familiar with, uh, the regulations in terms of these video games. I know that there are some sickly violent video games out there. Uh, for those of you who know video games, maybe you can answer that question for us. Uh, what kind of regulations are in fact out there, but you know, people find ways around it. They go underground. They, there's, all kinds of ways, unfortunately, uh, to get around. And people are savvy with the internet and can just find ways. So I don't know. I don't trust it so much. Uh, <laughs> text writes, how much should I charge my partner per night for wearing my shirt? Yeah, I'll get to that story. Uh, why do you want to charge your partner? Isn't it nice to know that wearing your shirt uh, gives them some uh, a little more mental health? Isn't that reward enough? Why would you need to charge? A texter writes uh, and asks a question. I'm with the most amazing woman ever. We have such a great relationship and I'm over the moon with her. Now when I see her, I get hard. When we kiss, I get hard. Even sometimes talking to her, I get hard. Sometimes, but lately I haven't been able to finish unless I stroke myself. I've tried to let her help me finish, but I can't unless I use my own hand. She thinks there's something wrong, but I'm assuring her there's nothing. Is there something wrong with me? That's a very good question. Uh, 
pretty common. You'd be surprised. So there's nothing wrong with her. So you need to, and she needs to hear this, that it's not about her, but this is about you. Not that there's something wrong, but I would need to ask you a few questions like how often do you masturbate with your own hand? Is this something new? Like before you were able to, uh, climax or ejaculate with her touch and, uh, the sensations of intercourse and all that. And then suddenly now you can't, or has it always been a little bit more difficult with you when you're in a relationship or with, uh, with a partner providing the stimulation. If that's the case, that's uh, common in, in the sense that when somebody uses their hand, their own hand a lot, um, they get used to a certain type of stimulation. And when they get in with a partner and they practice intercourse or oral sex or, uh, with a partner's hand, it's not offering the exact same stimulation that you're used to. So it will take a lot longer to either reach climax or you get frustrated and finish off yourself because you know, you can get there by yourself. So that would be the question I would have. And the best way to, to see if you can retrain yourself would be to stop masturbating altogether. Stop using your hand. If you don't climax, it's okay. Try the next time. If it doesn't happen again, it's okay. Eventually you will. So, uh, I know that people feel like, okay, well, what if I really need to, what if I get blue balls, all that, but you need to retrain yourself. And this is how, this is how you do it. It's the best way that I know how to do this or know how to tell you to do this. Uh, if you can answer some of my other questions, then, uh, please do. It will clarify it for me a bit more. And then I, I may be able to add more to that. Five one four eight hundred. If anybody has anything they want to add to somebody's question or what have you, or to my answers, then uh, please feel free to, to contribute. So this British woman had to go to the hospital after a very intense impending orgasm triggered a stroke. According to a report from the British Medical Journal, this 44-year-old woman suffered what's called a transient loss of consciousness while receiving oral sex from her partner. After the woman was unconscious for two to three minutes after the sex, her partner got nervous and took her to the emergency room. Once there, the man told doctors his partner's body had gone stiff during their session. Uh, the woman told doctors that she had a headache that she described as a 6 out of 10 on the pain scale. At first, doctors believed, based on the symptoms, that the woman had suffered a seizure. Uh, doctors later learned she had experienced a blackout caused by a sudden lack of blood supply to the brain, also known as reflex-mediated syncope according to this uh, journal. On, a, on closer history taking, the patient reported nearing orgasm while receiving oral sex from her partner right before losing consciousness. A CT scan and a CT angiography showed she had an aneurysm leading to a subarachnoid hemorrhage, so a kind of uh, stroke. The researcher said it is not unheard of for orgasms to cause stroke. I don't want to hear this, do you? This to me is a little scary. Um, 
Activities, they say, that involve sudden increases in blood pressure and sexual activity is well described as a precipitant. Studies with intra-arterial monitoring during coitus demonstrate that during sexual activity, blood pressure as well as heart rate is very labile with particular rises during orgasm. The report said doctors treated the woman with a procedure called endovascular coiling, which uses a catheter to transmit a tiny coil to seal off the aneurysm from blood flow. Uh, And then she was in the hospital for like uh, two weeks and that's it. So I don't know, does this, this scares me when I read this, I'm like, whoa, are we all at risk of uh, a stroke with orgasm? That's look, I think it's very rare. I mean, they say that it, of course, it's not unheard of, but how much is it heard of? Like, I wanted to know the statistics. How does this happen? I can tell you the statistics uh, for uh, dying of a heart attack, having a heart attack during sex. It's about 1%. So 1% of heart attacks happen during sex. And another study found that of that 1%, 70% of that 1%, the, it was a study of men who had had heart attacks. The men who had had those heart attacks during sex were having sex with someone other than their marriage partner. So they were in fact cheating. That's 70% of that 1%. So it's very rare to die of a heart attack in bed, although some people would say it's a wonderful way to go if you're going to go, uh, but certainly not at a, at a young age. But anyhow, uh, so I think that's really interesting. There's no, there really is no fear. Unless you have a heart issue or heart problems, then of course you need to talk to your doctor about that. And, uh, but they say that if you can climb uh, two flights of stairs without huffing and puffing, then you could also uh, have sex. This is especially for people who are being rehabilitated after uh, a heart attack, for example. There's a new term and it's called being mooned, being mooned. So it's not about uh, mooning, which I grew up with. Oh, this is something teenagers did. Oh, let's moon, you know, pulling down your pants and showing your butt. No, no, no. Mooning is the new ghosting. So here we go. We have to add yet a new term to our urban dictionary. There seems to be so many new terms, right? So really what it is, mooning is turning on your do not disturb feature on your phone. You know, you know what that is, right? That the do not disturb feature is the moon. It has a, a like a, a, the sliver of the moon. That's your do not disturb sign. That's where the term mooning comes from. Uh, so basically you turn on your do not disturb feature so that you will not receive any texts, calls, emails from anyone until you turn the feature back on. That's basically what it is. But why is this a thing? Why are we calling this uh, mooning? So uh, basically what they're saying is the iPhone's do not disturb mode silences everyone uh, temporarily turning off all your notification. But this feature can also be applied to mute certain people in group texts as well. So they, they give you an example, like, uh, you've been dating someone in this group text, but you don't want to hear from them anymore. So you just moon out of the group chat and turn off notifications from them. You can still text them, but it won't show up in their notifications. Uh, and basically you've 
been relegated to their spam folder. That's really what it is when, when you text, right? Um, unlike if you have someone blocked. So when you block someone, it tells you that you're unable to message that person. So if somebody blocks you, it will say you can't, uh, message that person, but it never tells you that you've been, uh, mooned. So you don't know why they haven't responded. You think you've been ghosted, but you've been mooned. They say that mooning is a perfect solution to keeping your life drama free. It's a great way to mute exes that you are maybe co-parenting with or what have you. Um, I don't know. You think it's, it's useful. Some people want to moon out some of their friends because they text a lot. What's like unfriending, not unfriending on Facebook, but unfollowing on Facebook. So you, you don't see all their posts, but you're still friends with them. So this is kind of like that on your phone. I don't know. Um, somebody says, do not disturb button is a circle with a line through it. Well, the moon is on the, uh, on the iPhone. So I'm not sure. Uh, which one or night mode, I guess. I don't know. That's what they're telling me. I'm just reading the news. Uh, coming up, we'll talk about wearing your partner's shirt. Apparently good for your mental health. From the pleasure to the pain and everything in between passion with Dr. Lori news talk radio, CJAD 800 couple of comments on some of the stories I have shared tonight uh, about the dying of a uh, stroke or getting a stroke during orgasm. Someone says, what a way to go should one pass away in the process. Right. You wouldn't want to get the stroke and then have all the consequences possibly of that. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying right there, but uh, it is a way to go. If you're going to go, that would be probably a good way to go. At least people think that. Uh, and then, uh, on, uh, for the, the shirts, which I'm going to share with you that information. So wearing my partner's shirt is good for my mental health, but I wear her underwear just once. And she says, I need help. Ha ha kidding. Of course. Uh, and then on the video games, this, um, this steam video game called rape day, which hasn't hit the market yet, but it is being reviewed and there's a petition out to stop it. And I asked, uh, our listeners for any feedback they have about the regulations on video games and gray writes, there are a lot of regulations on video games, but video game designers is now is a now saturated business. So a lot of people are going into private business and designing games. There are now a number of platforms like steam that cater to private designers to show off their work. And they do have certain rules to follow, but it's a lot more lenient. These games don't have ratings. So these basement creators can create almost anything they want. Well, that's what's scary. And then people find out about it and through social media or what have you, and they, what they dig them up underground, however they get to them, but they get to them. And then you have this out there. So it is a, it's a bit of a scary world in the internet world. Every time I speak to our tech guy, I get the same like pit in my stomach feeling, but it's like unavoidable. There's so much we can't control. All right. It's official. Wearing your guy's shirt is good for your mental health. The university of British Columbia conducted a study. Uh, they collected data from 96 heterosexual couples who volunteered to be part of the research. The male partners were asked to wear 
new t-shirts for a period of 24 hours without using any strong uh, antiperspirants or perfumes. They were restricted from consuming certain types of food or anything that would modify their own order. Odor. The shirts were kept in lower temperatures to conserve their scents and random shirts were assigned to every woman as part of the experiment. The study deduced uh, that women who were able to recognize their partner's peculiar uh, odor and held sentimental value for it had significantly reduced levels of cortisol, the hormone released during times of stress in their bodies and appeared more satisfied and calm overall. Likewise, women who smelled another man's scent produced more cortisol in their bodies and consequently were more stressed out. That was a very interesting uh, finding, and they were very fascinated uh, by this. The researcher states that numerous people all around the globe engage in habits such as donning their partner's clothes or slide over in their sleep to their partner's side of the bed during their absence. Though most people may not realize why they do these things, now we understand. Um, They also say that evolution has a role to play. It says uh, our inborn phobia related to the unknown or unseen could be the basis of the findings that this study has concluded. Uh, From a very young age, humans, especially females, are taught to fear strangers and unknown people, particularly unknown men. It could be possible that the strange male odor is perceived by the brain as a harmful event which activates the body's fight or flight reaction causing tremendous amounts of cortisol to be released from the body. This could occur without us even being fully um, aware of it. So uh, they conclude that the distinctive fragrance of a close loved one or a significant other can significantly improve our stress levels and keep our cynical emotions at bay. Hence, it is fairly justified to presume that having something nearby that has the scent of your partner, parent, or child may help us cope with their physical absence and alleviate feelings of grief and sadness. Something to try. And isn't it true, though, when you, sometimes if you have a breakup or your partner is away or uh, you uh, lose someone you love, that you immediately want that the smell, right? So you, you grab something they've worn, you want to, to smell them close, and it does something uh, to us for that. And, and maybe it helps that uh, grief process, especially in, in, those, uh, in those situations. So the NFB there's a, has created a mobile uh, game They launched this interactive game for mobile devices that takes a playful, informative approach to female sexual satisfaction and the role of the clitoris, uh, which I think is very, uh, very fun. It's called Clit Me. Yep. Clit Me. The five-minute game was developed in collaboration with eight students from the Université de Québec à Montréal as part of an eight-week internship program at the NFB's digital studio in uh, in Montreal. Uh, The interns were each asked to come up with an idea for an interactive uh, project, and the one that resonated most with the group of seven females and one male was looking at women's sexual health, specifically women's sexual satisfaction. During their research on the subject, they came across references to the orgasm gap between males and females. 
For example, a study showed that when having sex for the first time with a new partner, 85% of men reach climax, uh, but that was only true for 62% of heterosexual women and actually 75% of lesbians. So the group decided that an interactive game that focuses on the clitoris in a fun but fact-filled way might be a way to help close that uh, gap. Uh, which is interesting. Again, the game is called uh, Clit Me. Uh, when opened on a mobile device, the game introduces a player to an animated stop-motion video that introduces the anatomy of the clitoris, represented by a somewhat octopus-like avatar that the group created based on the first 3D model of the female genital organ. By the way, that in 2015 was the first time we were able to see a 3D model of what the clitoris actually looks like externally and internally. Uh, so they say we learned a lot of stuff because the clitoris doesn't actually look like what we think it looks like. Uh, also saying that every clitoris is uh, unique. Uh, using tactile movements on the screen, the player's aim is to satisfy the avatar with different techniques to unlock content and statistics on female sexual satisfaction, moving through five different levels uh, that end with, guess what, an orgasm. I think that's funny. Uh, we want to bring awareness to that body part. Embrace your clitoris and learn about it and uh, care about it. That was the the bottom line. Clip Me launched in the uh, run-up to International Women's Day uh, last week and will be promoted primarily through social media sites. So if you are interested in looking at this, go to the NFB site. So nfb.ca slash clit me, nfb.ca slash clit me. What a great concept. Good way to go for those students. Like thinking, excuse the pun, but thinking outside the box. Well, in this case, thinking inside the box, I guess. Uh, a London man seems to be free of HIV. Straight talk that's all-inclusive. Passion with Dr. Lori. News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. Another story I want to share with you tonight. The headline was, London man seems to be free of HIV in second such case. Uh, so this, uh, originally there was a guy in the U.S. who was treated in Germany who is now 12 years post-transplant, by the way, they did this with a cell, a stem cell transplant, uh, and until now, this guy, Timothy Ray Brown, is the only person thought to have been cured of infection with HIV, the virus that causes uh, AIDS. They, have, they say, the researchers, that such transplants are dangerous and have failed in other patients. Uh, it's also impractical to try to cure the millions who are already infected with this, but they say that the latest case shows the cure of Timothy Brown was not a fluke and can be uh, recreated. So the patient was diagnosed with HIV in 2003 and started taking drugs to control the infection in 2012. They don't know why he waited that long, in fact, because drugs have been available uh, before then. Uh, so he developed Hodgkin lymphoma that year and he agreed to a stem cell transplant to treat the cancer in 2016. 
with the right kind of donor, his doctors figured the this patient might get a bonus beyond treating his cancer, cancer, a possible HIV cure. So they found a donor with a gene mutation that confers natural resistance to HIV. I didn't know this, but about 1% of people descended from Northern Europeans have inherited the mutation from both parents are immune and are immune to most HIV. I don't know how you find this out just like that, but nonetheless, I guess if you are a stem cell donor, this is going to happen. Uh, so the donor had this uh, double copy of the uh, the mutation, but they say that this is an improbable event, like it's not that common. Uh, so the transplant changed this patient's immune system, giving him the donor's mutation and HIV uh, resistance. He then stopped taking his HIV drugs to see if the virus would uh, come back. And usually when you stop taking the suppressants for the virus, uh, it usually comes back within two to three weeks that you can see it in your system. But this did not happen with him. There's still no trace of the virus after 18 months off the drug. So now researchers from eight countries are tracking 45 patients with cancer and HIV who have or will soon have stem cell uh, transplants. So we'll see uh, what's happening with this. Some people are a little skeptical to say that they are cured or in remission because it's uh, still kind of a, a tricky thing because they don't have anything to measure it by. Like, what does that mean you're cured and until when? Like, when would it appear or not appear? Um, but they do say that stem cell transplants typically are harsh procedures which start with radiation or chemotherapy to damage the body's existing immune system and make room for a new one. And there could be also uh, complications. But anyway, for now... Uh, it looks like it's really good news and it's certainly offering up a lot of hope for uh, future research in HIV, uh, HIV cure because as of today, there really is uh, no cure except that the medications that have developed now, uh, if you keep taking the medication, then it will not show up in your, uh, in your blood. So, uh, and, and so then transmitting it would be very uh, difficult. So that's, that's the news in that. Moving on to date nights. Uh, here, according to a new study, a different type of date night can bring couples closer together. The research, which was published in the Journal of Marriage and Family, identified activities that spark the release of oxytocin, the, that bonding hormone, uh, when partners do these things together. What are the things they do together that sparks this? At least this is what the two things that were studied. Painting and playing board games. Play, that, those are fun things. I didn't realize the painting one because that's often a very solo activity, but certainly playing uh, board games. So participating in recreational activity does release oxytocin when you participate in activities with your partner. And that's doing pretty much anything. But I guess they were trying to measure like which things did... Uh, release the most oxytocin. So they had 20 people who were couples who were living together or married. Uh, all of them filled out a, a questionnaire about family life, which was just, just doing that questionnaire was meant to trigger the release of oxytocin. Um, because other research has shown that even thinking about a partner can kickstart the production of that hormone. And so they measured this hormone throughout 
throughout the study, and they found that at the beginning. Then the researchers randomly assigned half of the couples to play a board game for an hour, and then the other half to do a painting class uh, together. Then they collected urine samples after the survey and the activity that they uh, set them up with, and they measured changes in oxytocin levels. So they have to get the baseline and then they uh, can measure if it goes up or if it goes down or if it stays the same. What they found is that the oxytocin levels elevated after both of those activities. So painting or uh, playing board games. But what they found was some slight differences. Men in the painting group had by far the largest change in oxytocin levels. So why was an art class that effective to uh, release the oxytocin? Is it because it was a new activity? Is it because there was more encouragement during the art class? Your partner looking over your shoulder, uh, touching your shoulder, saying, wow, good job, honey. Like these are the things that they uh, noticed were happening. And they say that men have been shown to be particularly sensitive to the physical contact. And it's the physical contact, the touch, the partner's hand on the shoulders that boosted their uh, oxytocin. So bottom line is if you need a date night, you don't have to do anything extravagant. Take out some, you don't have to do a painting class, go get a couple of canvases, paint at home, encourage each other and play board games. That's the most simple thing, playing board games. And it does increase that and increases the level of closeness that you feel. So uh, try that for your next, uh, de- next date night and let me know how that goes. That's it for us. Thank you so much for listening uh, to Passion and uh, thank you for your texts and your messages. Thanks to our technical producer tonight, uh, Dave Maroney. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, drlori.com. Coming up next, uh, right here on CJD, the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening, a fabulous weekend, and remember to live your life with passion.